bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to be your host. Today, I'm very energized to introduce our guest, Carol McBride. Carol is the CHRO and EVP at Germania Insurance. She's also the author of HR, Where's Your Freaking Sense of Humor? Love the title. We were introduced virtually a, a few months ago, and then I picked up her book and read it and found it very interesting. Her energy and enthusiasm is contagious. Welcome, Carol. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, we invited you here to come talk about the current challenges facing HR and the solutions. But first, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, and how you ended up in your current role. I first want to start out by saying thank you to you for just being open and minded enough to just have this conversation with me. And then also thank you to our Franklin Covey partners who introduced me to such a dynamic person as you. Um, I'm honored and it's a privilege to be talking with your audience today in this podcast. So a little bit about my background is I, I consider myself a Cinderella story of HR. I guess that's where we could start, which is I'm an employee and a, a mentee of an HR manager who almost 30 years ago decided to take a chance on me. I've functioned in many, many roles, um, starting from staff level, from the very, very bottom, all the way to the very, very top. And so here I am today in the highest serving HR role in our um, organization, which is I'm an executive vice president and chief human resources here at Germania. Right. So when you think about that role of the chief human resource officer, it can be pretty widespread in regards to the role's responsibilities, especially as I've interviewed a variety of guests on my show and just prepping for for new episodes. Can you give us an overview of just kind of what are those buckets underneath your responsibility? Today, for me specifically, I actually give leadership to the true peer play human resource function. I also give leadership to the training and development department here, which is brand new, created exactly one year ago. And it's a new department that I put in place when I identified a gap in our um, professional development needs here at the organization, along with the leadership. And so that department also reports to me have a very unique opportunity on the employee and customer engagement side. Today, I have the call quality assurance initiative um, that also reports under me. And then if you really want to talk about living out your dream in both HR and in a function that I thought that I wanted to go is the entire logistics and facilities management function um, and department reports up to me today. And we have a facility that's over 105,000 square feet. Wow, that's a pretty full plate. It does. Makes for a very exciting and interesting day. At any given time, I can be talking about a new program. Recently, we transitioned from a um, semi-monthly payroll to a bi-weekly payroll. So it was pure payroll talk for over two weeks. And then just yesterday, my architect was here with our engineers, and we were looking at the blueprints and the schematics for a complete renovation of our building. So 
makes for an exciting day. Definitely love your background and you have such a tremendous amount of experience and expertise based on the things that you've done. Maybe just turning um, our attention a little bit to the overall HR role, and I know that you talked about this a little bit in your book, but could you share with us and with our audience how you've seen the role of HR evolve over the last decade? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the the fun and exciting part. I write about it in my book as well. But it is the evolution of the administrative HR role that's been swapped for that strategic partnership role that has been one of the biggest changes and evolutions that I've seen in my entire career. And when you're living in the administrative, sometimes you, you just don't get a perspective as to how you should be navigating. But I was so happy when the HR community called to our attention that that's what we were doing. And so even a recent article that I was reading by Cornerstone, it it kind of summarized it very well. It shared that one of the things that we're doing with that swap for administrative to strategic partnership is that what we're doing is we're focusing on what managers really need, but we're making sure that we're not taking out the human element of that equation. And what that means is we're supposed to basically be getting the data, but then we're shifting what's in the data to starting a conversation, which is there in strategy so that you can start to help tell the story and support managers. Another thing that they talked about with that strategic partnership shift is understanding the state of the business. We've been talking about that, of course, Diana, for a long time, which is you need to stay connected to the business and understanding the core business and what the business really does and what products that we're delivering or services. More importantly, it's important that we understand the competition, not just from a competition for employees, because we have to know what we're facing when we're trying to find talent and what may be driving morale or the shift or the urgency. But once we understand what's going on with the business, we can understand how difficult it is to hire and train new employees. We can understand why our seasoned employees are leaving, and it's just all a part of starting the conversation, but understanding the state of the business so we can really help and contribute. And then certainly, last but not least, is using data as kind of a conversation catalyst. And that's really the shift in the administrative to the strategic partnership, which is, you know, data is nothing without really having a dialogue. And what we've been asked to do as HR professionals, which has been different over from the last 10 years, is we have to ask more questions. We have to dig deeper, ask the why, understand root cause and what the problems are so that we can begin to talk with management and understand you know, what's the state of the union of the organization and how can we take that data and craft it into relevant and meaningful data? And then once we do that, then now we're on our way to really helping with strategy. And then we're relating to those managers and they want us there. And we're not just kind of forcing our way in the door or we're waiting for that invitation. So that in my mind, that's probably been the biggest shift in the evolution, although we're going to talk about today many more things that are going on. Now, I love that uh, analogy and, and the path that you laid out moving, you know, from really HR was that administrative to switching to being that strategic 
business partner. I can tell you the people that I worked with in McDonald's Corporation that really helped me in HR are the ones that really were strategic and business partners and looked at the business differently. And I love how you said leveraging data to really make the best relevant decisions. So thank you for sharing that. So we started to talk a little bit about some of the things going on in the industry. And now let's take it back to you. Let's get into some of the top challenges that you're seeing in your CHRO role. I kind of look at challenges in a different way. I take a growth mindset approach and I convert challenges and I actually um, work with my staff and we actually refer to them as opportunities. Number one is addressing the talent gap concerns that our managers, our leaders are coming with and even we are looking at as an HR uh, community and ensuring that we have a solid like process in place for like things like succession planning and identifying high potential employees and um, whether they be employees or leadership roles. But that assessing that talent gap concern is number one on my list. Another item that we are trying to work through as CHROs and I'm working through specifically is navigating through the complexity of that thing we call digital uh, transformation and moving towards a digital human workforce and all that kind of comes with that, right? And so it's not just one thing. It's not just technology. It's looking at your culture. It's looking at how change management needs to be um, facilitated within your organization. And then again, that word urgency comes up and that's urgency for achieving this digital transformation that they're talking about. And so navigating through the complexities of digital transformation transformation is on the opportunities list. And then number three is understanding the data analytics aspect of the equation and the expectations of our stakeholders. And I think it kind of wraps up in number one and two. They all seem to come together very nicely. But the data analytics, our, our tools are getting more and more powerful under our HRMS, HRIS systems. But again, that conversation that we talked about earlier must be occurring in addition to understanding what the power is for us using the data analytics aspect of the tools and the resources we've been given. The final opportunity that I'm facing is workforce planning for the future and not just for today. And um, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, living in the moment, you know, and understanding your attrition and your turnover and your, your performance development today. But we have to look to the future because the rapid changes and uncertainty has continued to increase the pressure for us in HR. And they're looking to us to ensure that we have the required talent to support changing business priorities. And because it's changing so rapidly, because we're being compared to our competitors, we must understand what that looks like and what we need to do for workforce planning. And we also back to the data, have to let the data share some things, but we also have to stay connected to our people and listening to them. So those are amongst the four that I'm you know, facing as opportunity areas um, going forward. So before we get into some of the specifics of each one of those, one of the things that you shared that you start with in regards to looking at your strategic plan and where you're focusing your energy is actually starting with your team and making sure that they understand the challenges or, as you said, the opportunities and that they truly are partnering with the business. Are there any tips that you have that you could share with our audience in regards to developing and making their team even stronger? 
As a matter of fact, as late as yesterday, we successfully completed the um, first phase and the company that's supporting us, which is Gartner for HR leaders, is we did an ignition diagnostic for human resources. So it was a deep dive into where we thought as far as um, importance and maturity of my staff. And so I think that first you find an individual or a company or a partner that can help you assess your HR's talent where we are today and then marry that with what we need as far as strategy and support for the organization today and for the future. Great advice. So right now we're facing the lowest unemployment that we've had, I think close to 30 years. So how is your team handling this current talent gap? One of the recent Jacobson reports reported that by 2020, we're going to experience an insurance alone of 400,000 um, employee shortfall. So to handle some of the current talent gaps, one of the things or several of the things we're doing is we're ensuring that one, our organization has a meaningful purpose and a story. Um, the good news is I stepped right into a great fit for that is this company is 122 years old. So a uh, wonderful story starting from the beginning which started with the handshake, which is basically the first policy that we've ever had was not signed with pen and paper. It was through a handshake. But more importantly, going forward is we have to make sure that we are an attractive organization to those future recruits and our current employees. And that means that we have to really work on our value proposition as an employer, because many of the reports that are coming out talks about that millennials are looking to join companies who have a meaningful purpose and um, and that's how you really recruit great talent. Um, something else that we're doing is we're starting with basic fundamentals of using the data to tell the story, as I said earlier. And so understanding the talent gap comes with what ta- what are your talent gaps? Understanding people, understanding roles, understanding our attrition today, understanding you know our cadence for that, and understanding our turnover numbers are still just as important as they were you know several years ago. And then something that I always make sure that I'm doing on a regular basis, at least annually, but if I could do it more frequently, is I'm participating in industry surveys. I'm also participating in general market surveys so that I can understand the talent gaps that others are experiencing because our leaders are looking to me to tell the story. And I don't want to tell anything that's unrealistic or try to um, solve concerns or issues that may just be plaguing the whole industry as a whole. But at least I can educate them and bring awareness to what is going on and what others are doing. And so, you know, surveys, as you know, are really good for that. And then one of the biggest things that we're going to be um, really putting some um, teeth to in 2019 is formalizing our millennial recruiting processes and going forward. What we want to do is go beyond the traditional recruiting tactics. And so many people would immediately say, oh, Carol, you got to get into the university and start recruiting. But we got to go deeper. It's not just about getting with that career um 
development director at the university, it's actually getting in, talking with the professors and talking with the students um, about how their degree connects to a meaningful career in insurance, right? Connecting the dots for them. And so it means we got to go deeper. And it also means we got to go into high schools and we have to start from that point, not just simply take for granted that we're going to do job board postings, we're going to go to a few career fairs, those type of things. But we have to start before the decision is made as to what career people are choosing. And then um, something we're doing internally with my new training and development department is we're creating academy-based curriculum where we're going to start to train our new employees over a extended and predefined period of time in a classroom in a simulated environment so that they are more successful in their transition from new employee into um, contributing employee. And then last but not least, we're doing some upskilling and re skilling of our current employees with the support of our training and development departments. And so putting that all together is really helping us handle, you know, our current and future talent gaps as well. Wow, so much great information. I think we could make an episode out of each one of those bullet points that you talked about. (laughs) Great stuff. I, I love how you said connecting the dots for your current and future employees. And I'm going to steal shamelessly from you moving forward. You know, I, I coach people that I um, interact with that when you steal shamelessly, it's a wonderful time-saving tool, right? Uh, yes. I, <laughs> I love what you said, creating meaningful purpose and story. And I think the story is so important because story can be history told in a way that can be so compelling that you have pride as an employee or something that attracts you to come work for that company. I'm going to take that away as one of my key learnings from you that I'd love to uh, use in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's mine is yours. (laughs) Great. I also love what you said as far as participating in industry surveys. And I know sometimes you can feel like you're getting bombarded by all of these people asking to fill out the survey and what are they going to use it for and how much time is it going to take? But I also had a paradigm shift when I was in a similar role that you are in regards to it's great to have access to those surveys. So usually if you are participating in a survey, you get that full survey back. And that is great information to have. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think about some of the things that, you know, we were budgeting for and to be able to go out and show what other companies were doing, where we were similar or where we really needed to beef it up and step it up. I remember receiving some of those insights from those surveys. So I love that you bring that out. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, I agree 100 yeah. percent. So you started to talk a little bit about, you know, having the right people in your leadership pipeline. And this is, again, another opportunity that I'm hearing from champions out in the field because it used to be easier to develop these succession plans. They had a really strong, robust pipeline, and it seems like it's been drying up. 
I know that my HR community, I know we're all over this. And um, because many um, organizations who have just the top senior leadership or they have board of directors, they're being instructed to ask us that very same question. And so it is a hot topic item that we are faced with every day and me specifically. And so the good news is that we didn't have to completely abandon some of our tried and true processes, which, you know, through succession planning and through identifying high potential leaders, we're still using things like the nine box methodology in order to find that. But what has happened over time is some complacency has, you know, kind of set in across some organizations and there wasn't enough credence given to the ongoing cadence and the replication of identifying those um, leaderships in the pipeline on a regular basis. And so what has happened is it's kind of a once and done or twice and done. And then the measurement tools that were being used um, were just even greater subjectivity than a performance review. There was no true meaning behind the methodology and what you're really looking for and what are the key competencies or traits that potential leaders have and or you would need to develop. And so what I've been doing at my organization, and I'm so blessed by their openness and them being open-minded to my recommendations, is I actually brought to the organization when I joined them two years ago, a partnership with DDI. People know them as Development Dimensions International, and they have a tried and true model that's about 30 to 40 years old, and they've clearly identified the leadership competencies and a true cadence for how you do that process. And so it married with what I've known throughout my career, but I was able to share and train our leadership team on what that looked like. And so that whole world of, you know, ambiguity and um, subjectiveness actually became a little bit clearer, actually a lot clearer to our leadership team and they were committed and they were dedicated to us running that cadence of accountability and they were dedicated to their contribution which is the hard part which is identifying those true leaders that would be suitable for their particular roles is what we were asking them to do and now we have a bona fide structured program that helps them navigate through um, what they need to do to build their strengths in that particular area. And we successfully reported to the board of directors exactly what they were asking for. Wow, that's really impressive and so holistic in regards to what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. It's I think I have to thank my leadership team for being open minded and receptive to going through that process. And certainly my our president and CEO for just supporting that and taking a chance on me and um, our partner. And it's fabulous to have that kind of support. As I coach talent champions and executives, you can really tell those the individuals that are working at more of a strategic level because they talk about that partnership and that support from the CEO, from the C-suite, being there and interacting with them. Are there any tips that you would give our audience in regards to how do you build a stronger relationship with that top leadership group? 
Wow, yes. Um, look, let me tell you, I don't want to ever attest to be an expert. Um, I'm certainly learning as I go. But one of the biggest things, as we talked about earlier, is that conversation. And so one of the things that you do is you go in and you do define yourself as that partner and that you are there to help support them and make them um, successful in what they're doing. I'm here to provide them with the resource and the information so that they can make meaningful, viable, and solid decisions. I also am here to help them understand any risk and mitigate that risk, even in the most toughest of situations. And my team members are now engaged, um, and they're also um, able to help when I'm not available. I'm, I'm only one person, but the true success of a leader is your ability to replicate yourself and still provide support to the leadership team, even when I may be helping another leader. So I feel replicated and I feel like the model has been successful. And so, and then last but not least is I always remind them that I'm here to help them, me and them be champions of employee engagement. And so we're working really hard together to make that happen. I think that's really important for people to stay focused on what are you trying to accomplish and are your, you know, your words and your actions supporting that. So I love how that comes through uh, every conversation that I have with you in regards to, you know, what your purpose is in regards to your role and, and how you're partnering to really move the business forward with your leadership. Right. I actually have a chapter in my book called HR Mantra, and we just have to have those some days to um, help us navigate through the day, right? And it's kind of our guiding principles, you know, for choice of a better words on how we navigate and we move through HR. Yeah. And you brought up your book. I, I just found your book interesting, especially, you know, the title. When you think of the title, it's not something that you normally would hear is, you know, HR, where is your freaking sense of humor? It uh, brought back memories. I was in HR for about seven years. And I remember I was initially an intern in HR and I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and I did a paper on leadership. And one of the things I wrote about was, could HR be more proactive instead of reactive? Because so right. much stuff would happen. And I was thinking about your book, because even though there are definitely things that you can do and put in place, especially being strategic so that you focus on things so you don't have to be as reactive, there are just days when things happen. And the most you can control is your attitude and your response. So tell us a little bit more of what inspired you to come up with that title. Well, um, so there's a couple things. So first and foremost, I think it might even help just to kind of give you the background on what inspired me to actually write the book. Many times when people come and chat with me just about any topic in HR, whether it be one of the ones where it's a lighter side of HR or it happens to be the most challenging, people always walk away from the conversation with a smile and a big thank you. They said that their attitude was just different after speaking with me. And I will tell you, it's because because I don't laugh at people, I laugh with people. And sometimes that's the best medicine 
for people to move forward is just a bit of laughter and just to soften some of the the challenges that people are having. And so people just seem to assimilate that with me. I've never wanted to be a comedian, but in this business, you see some of the most traumatic and detrimental things go on. You have some of the most uncanny and untraditional conversations. And more importantly, you're placed in situations where people are at the core and you may find yourself doing a reduction in force that could possibly devastate an individual who doesn't know what's next and on the horizon. And so that's where I came up with, it actually was originally HR, where's your sense of humor, but did some studies. And I really wanted to shock the audience and, you know, HR people, we're risk adverse. And so <laughs> I took a chance on it and I thought, well, you know what, let me add this word. And the word is, um, in its connotation is to make, it means amazing. So everything that comes with freaking just means amazing. So I'm hoping that the audience can HR community continues to enjoy it as well. And thank you so much for your support. Well, you talked about leveraging your resources, and you definitely have done that. And you talked about continuing to, you know, learn and read articles. What else do you do to stay current on what's going on today and what's going on in the industry and what's going to happen in the future? What advice do you have for our audience to continue to learn and grow? Well, first of all, always make sure that you're keeping people at the center of this equation in HR. Um, once you lose sight of that and you get distracted by the the bells and whistles of what, you know, tools and technology and the sophistication that goes in the conversation with other leaders, you don't want to take your eye off of people. But what I do in order to continue to grow is one is I participate in small and big, you know, um, a roundtable discussions. Anytime that I can involve myself in the roundtables that are HR based or simply just C-suite based, right? Is you you can't keep the door open for HR if we're not participating in the broader discussions. Um, and many people are looking to us. They're glad that we're there. And everything just seems to kind of boil back to um, questions they have for us on how their thought process will be affecting people. And as I shared earlier, participating in those surveys, you are exactly right, is it might be a bit more time on the front end, but the data that you get from those reports gives you perspective, as you said earlier, as to are you on the right track? Are you have you overlooked something? Or are you do you need to just make a few minor tweaks and enhancements? And then I can't tell you enough that I read every publication, every white paper. I will be honest with you. It's really hard for me to read large books from front to back because the whirlwind of the day is just so overwhelming sometimes. But I love to read short white papers on topics. And then I've used the reading of books, you know, when I have actual vacation time. But the organization is expecting you to stay in tune with what's going on. There was a recent report um, that came out which was related to turnover. And people kind of know the fundamentals, but 
keeping abreast of what the cost is of turnover. And then I share that information with my leadership as well. And then finally, I absolutely still support all of our conferences that are put on by excellent HR professionals and organizations that strive to keep us better. The key is, is that you must participate in the surveys um, that they give to us after sessions are over to tell them what you need more or less of so that those particular conferences remain meaningful to us and not simply just sales pitches of vendors with top technology and resources. It's really a collaboration of all of that. If you had to boil it down, how much time a week do you spend on just learning and growing? At least an hour a day, but it is not during, it usually does not happen during business hours. And I'll be honest about that. I will every so often stumble upon articles or white papers that are of interest. And so what I actually do is I earmark those so that I can read those in the evenings or I read them in the early mornings once I arrive before, you know, the onslaught of the day begins. Um, Also, sometimes lunch is great. I'd love to step away from my desk every so often. But when I know I, I have some meetings that are tight, I will take lunch but I'll run a webinar or a session at which happens most likely to be during lunchtime. And so those are the type of ways that I actually try and stay on top of that. And then of course, I carve out conference attendance um, for me and my team on a regular basis throughout the year. I remember I used to have a read file and I actually kept one on my computer as well. So if I did have a few extra minutes or you get someplace early, you could bring some of those informational articles out. So you covered a little bit of this already, but maybe any additional advice for someone that is aspiring to be a CHRO? You know, what steps should they start taking now to reach that goal? One of the things that I write about in my book is that um, knowing all facets of HR is important. Now, I don't discredit that if you don't need to know everything, you just need to make sure you surround yourself with people that know everything. But in HR, my successful formula was to actually make a consorted effort into understanding all things HR and spending a jaunt and a tenure in each one of those areas that I lay out. And it really is important to understand what's going on as a, um, in payroll, what's going on in benefits, what's going on in training, the beauty of being a recruiter and in the recruiting role, which you know much about, right? That doesn't get much love as I write in my book, but I cannot tell you is, um, if you had to run the analogy how a receptionist is like the pulse of an organization, my equivalent to that is the recruiter is the pulse of HR, right? They are the ones that have to replicate and tell our story over and over again. And many people, you know, lose sight of that. Really knowing all those facets and if there's ever an opportunity to actually volunteer to move into those roles in your organization or an opportunity as an HR um, person of one, to really hone in and develop that or be mentored or coached by someone in the areas where your experience may be limited. Being a well-rounded HR professional is the perfect, perfect 
um, recipe for transitioning to a CHRO role and more importantly, relationships. And so keeping that circle outside of your employer of HR professionals in all levels and in varying roles and in domestic companies and international companies, which keeps your perspective very, very fresh on what is going on, therefore allowing you to be that person that at the end of the day is considered a subject matter expert on HR. And then I certainly believe in continued education, but I also believe that it has to be balanced with practical application and on the job, you know, um, scenarios so that we're well balanced and ready and poised to help um, our stakeholders as we move forward. Great advice. And especially as a CHRO, you have to be able to hit the ground running. So having that well-rounded experience and the relationships, I love how you emphasize external relationships, because sometimes you just don't have the person inside of your organization that's doing the same role when you're in HR to say, what do you think? You know, so going out externally and similar to what I found in the uh, TL&D space, the HR individuals are wonderful people that are willing to share and give advice and take advice. It's a great supportive community. So I love that you mentioned that. Thank you. You're very welcome. Very welcome. And thank you for being amongst those individuals because I know you're doing some outstanding work with leadership coaching. So you're helping us like um, I do call on um, coaches such as yourself within the organization that helps frame our leadership um, to a place where they can be successful. And sometimes just adding you all to the recipe opens the door to a successful relationship and long-term relationship with leadership, which is saying you can always be learning and we haven't forgot about you, leader. So we want to impart and invest in you as well. And people like yourself are right there helping us, you know, be successful even from that standpoint. Yeah. Thank you for that piece. What is your favorite thing about being a CHRO? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, people. Um, I will tell you that I certainly wanted to, as I said, from a young age, be an architecture engineer. But um, if you go back and talk to any of my elders, my parents, um, they will tell you that I was the most talkative, interactive and personable child that you ever want to meet. And so people are the core and the most favorite thing that I like about being in HR, not just as a CHRO, but just overall in my ability to relate to them and to help them navigate through what they need as they're trying to be productive employees within our organization. Great. Got to love people. And definitely, Carol, that comes through every interaction that you have and and through your book. You got to love people. So if you're not a people person, you don't love people, maybe HR is not the best fit, right? No, you are exactly right. Uh, Get out now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Save yourself. (laughs) So who has had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? 
I stand on the shoulders of, of HR leaders. And there was one woman in particular, which helped was the inspiration for my chapter called HR Mentors, where would you be? And her name is Carmi Impringham, which is now Carmi Lewis. And she actually lives in California now, but when I'm a native of Denver. And so when I worked at Denver, which was one of my biggest HR roles of my career, we had 22,000 employees and 19,000 of them at any time was benefit eligible. And we had more greater than 30 unions. And so I can go on and on. And she was the director of HR there. And she made me her right hand and everything that she was learning, she'd take me along so I could learn. And she never stopped supporting me. And in that environment, at that level, jumbo employer, and I had not even reached my late 20s for her to entrust into me that type of responsibility. I think I had the largest team reporting to me at 25 or 26. I think I had about the same amount of people I have reporting to me today at that age. And um, today, I can still tell you that I can pick up the phone and I can call her. She became a part of my circle of influence when I wrote my book and when I was launching my book and she never tells me no. And then she's been one of the biggest purchasers of my book to impart on others in the HR community. And so she can still continues today to be my inspiration because of those gestures that she made um, long, long ago. <laughs> yeah, just highlighting the importance of having great mentors and being mentors for others. I love that because you never know the impact that you're making with somebody, you know, in that moment, sometimes it's things we reference or think about later in life that, wow, that person really helped me. So as we start to wrap up, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? Wow, I would say don't do this because you have to do HR because you want to is because people can see right through you and know if you really do truly have a heart for HR. I worked at a hospital and this is how I really was able to say it's okay to be me and um, connect to that empathy side of what I do every day is because once you work at a hospital and you understand the oath that the nurses take, that doctors take related to people, there's no stronger or more powerful or inspiration story than how they take care of people. And so I assimilate all that to just wanting to be here, loving people and having a heart for HR. And so that's what I would, you know, encourage people to remember. And then when the road gets a bit tough, you know, again, go to those in the HR community that can help you navigate, but just never give up on it because there are people out there that need us and we need to stand ourselves up as those people uh, champions. And how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, um, there's a multiple ways. Um, and so I do have my own website, um, which people can go to today. It's carolmcbridegroup.com. And they can check out my website. And there's information in my bio about me. And there's also information about how you can get my book, which is available on Amazon. At, you can go there at any time. Also, I'm on Twitter. And you can uh, find me under the um 
under the tag uh, Carol did that. And uh, that's C-A-R-O-L-D-I-D-T-H-A-T. Um, I also am on what the kids call the gram, which is Instagram, and it's carol.mcbride. And then you can also find me on Facebook at carol-mcbride-group. And then last but not least, which is a great place to be, is on LinkedIn. And so you can find me at Carol McBride. And then certainly, again, you can email me at carol at carolmcbridegroup.com. I try and keep it simple. Again, carol at carolmcbridegroup.com. Well, thank you, Carol. It has been such a pleasure to have you as our guest. We thank you for your energy, your enthusiasm, and sharing all of your knowledge with us so uh, openly. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure and an honor. And again, I look forward to continuing to be someone that you could look to if the HR community just needs a little bit of extra support and insight. You can count on me. Stay tuned for our next episode, when we'll be addressing one of the opportunities Carol mentioned facing her and the HR community, which is understanding and leveraging analytics to help power the business. I'll be exploring this topic with Dr. Stacy Boyle, a thought leader and prominent practitioner in the world of HR data and analytics. Those of you who feel your stomach start to turn over when people start talking about analytics will love hearing the down-to-earth and practical advice Stacy has to offer. I'm looking forward to our next time together. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talentchampions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.